So moms, moms are, well, moms are incredible. And moms are incredible for more reasons than I will be able to list this morning, but I'm going to share a few of the reasons moms are so incredible anyways. For one thing, moms always seem to know how to help or comfort their kids when their kids are sick or hurt. So when I think about my childhood, I remember when my sister, she got stung by a stingray, and my mom seemed to know exactly what to do. My mom never seemed panicked when me or my younger brother busted our heads and we needed stitches. She always seemed to have a plan. And today, in my life, when my boys are hurt, I've noticed that they will run past me in order to get to their mom. Because moms just always seem to know how to comfort them. Moms always seem to know uh, what their kids need. I tell Casey all the time that without her in our lives, me and the boys would really struggle. Case in point, I will admit that a few weeks ago, I gave Judah fish sticks for breakfast. And then a few days ago, when he asked for cinnamon rolls for dinner, I was on board with that plan before Casey intervened. Moms always seem to know how to keep their kids entertained and engaged all day long. And when Casey leaves me with the boys for even an hour or two, she'll lead up to that time by asking me several times if I'm okay with this idea. And I'll be honest that I would like to be offended by that, but I understand it. Because I have no idea how she fills the day with so much fun and reading and learning and activities for them. Moms, moms just seem to know. Moms always seem to know when their kids are lying or when they're about to do something wrong. They always seem to know when their kids need a good word of encouragement. Moms are incredible. And I have found that many Christian moms know how important it is to pour into their kids spiritually. So my mom, I'm very grateful, she was faithful to read the Bible and to read Christian books to me and my siblings when we were growing up. It was my mom who led me in prayer when I was five years old and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Nowadays, I'll come home and many times I'll find that my boys have done Bible crafts or my oldest son will come up quoting Bible verses to me and I know it's because of the time they've spent with their mom. And I know that many of you mothers here have a godly legacy that is seen in your own kids, and for some of you, is now seen in your grandkids as well. And you see, uh-oh. <laughs> Let's just keep going. We'll see how it goes, all right? The difference, though, is that, look, there are many good moms in this world who, who seem to always know what their kids need. But the great moms, the ones who make the biggest impact, those are the ones who pour spiritual truth into their kids. They're the ones who model a love for God and a love for God's people. They're the ones who make a lasting impact on their kids in these things. And we're going to look this morning at the story of a mom like that as we turn to Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and join me there. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 830. Page 830. Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, my prayer is that we will see what it is that great moms know. Luke chapter 1. As we pick up this account in Luke chapter 1, by the way, as you turn there, we enter into a time in Israel when the Jews hadn't received a direct word or prophecy from the Lord in about 400 years. 
And a lot of things had happened during that period of time. And Israel, in Luke chapter 1, Israel was under the rule of the Romans while they awaited the coming Messiah. So this is the context that we pick up in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is what we find. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So let's stop here for a few minutes so we can understand the context of the story. Uh, first, I want to share with you, not only were the Jews living under Roman rule, but in Judea they were living under the Roman ruler, Herod the Great. Herod, if you don't know, Herod was a, well, he was an evil man. Now, he killed several of his own sons, killed one of his wives, killed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law. Most of the Jews hated Herod. In fact, he was so hated that Herod the Great knew when the day of his death came, nobody was going to weep for him. So he ordered that many of the prominent Jewish men in the community would be gathered up and killed around the same time to guarantee that there would be mourning in the land. That's not really a surprise. This is the same man who ordered that all boys, two years old and under, in and around Bethlehem, should be killed as he attempted to kill Jesus after the Lord's birth. It's the same man there. Now, I bring all this up because you need to understand that the politics of the day mattered most to some of the Jews. That's what really mattered to them in their lives, is whether you were pro-Roman or anti-Roman in your leanings. That's what defined some of the Jews in this day. And as for Israel, spiritually, like I mentioned earlier, it had been centuries since they had received a new revelation or a direct word, a message from God. So over time, some of the people became spiritually lazy. Others became spiritually legalistic. Very few Israelites were exercising true, genuine faith and obedience before God. That's why later Jesus would call some of the Jews and their leaders, he would call them hypocrites, Blind guides, people whose hearts were far from God. See, not many of them were defined by a pure love for the Lord. And it was in the midst of all that that we meet Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And how were they defined for us in these few verses that we read already? Well, first we find that Zechariah, he was a priest. That means he played a big role in the spiritual lives of his fellow Jews. The greatest task he would have had is every year when he had a chance to go and serve at the temple in Jerusalem. His wife Elizabeth came from the line of Aaron. That was the priestly line. That meant that she came from a priestly family. This is kind of like, uh, like a pastor's daughter one day marrying a, a pastor. Elizabeth, she, her, her life always revolved around the things of God. But in that day, just like today, keep in mind, being around godly people doesn't make you a godly person. So for this reason, the Bible makes it really clear. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were the real deal. They observed the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, not legalistically. No, they were righteous in God's sight. That doesn't mean that they were perfect. 
but that they were people of saving faith who were characterized by obedience to God. Believer, there is no greater accolade, no greater description you could ever have than be defined as righteous in God's sight. Just as encouragement, church, stop caring about what people think of you and consider who you are in God's sight because that is far more important. But then we're told about this couple that they were childless. And this must have broken their hearts. As many of you know, we live in a culture today that is currently trying to normalize, celebrate, and advocate childlessness. In fact, I've recently seen a number of articles where celebrities will talk about how much better their lives are because they chose not to have kids. Now look, it's one thing if people choose not to have kids, but the thing is that people in our culture today see kids as a disappointment and an inconvenience. Elizabeth and Zechariah, like the rest of the Jews in their day, and like many of God's people today, instead recognize the truth that we find in places like Psalm 127, which says that children are a gift, a reward from God. Believers, this is why we as Christians, we should be heartbroken for the barren, those women who are childless, not by choice, but because they cannot have children. And in Elizabeth's day, you need to understand that to be barren in Israel was humiliating for a woman. Because people often would have assumed the reason for that is because of some sin in your life. And so God withheld kids from you. So they didn't have kids, and they were very old. That meant they weren't going to have kids. So I want you to grasp what I'm trying to tell you. In the eyes of everyone, Elizabeth would have been defined as hopelessly barren. That was Elizabeth. In the eyes of a lot of people, that's who she was. Now let me ask you this. If you lived during a time of political frustration and at times political oppression, if you lived during a time when God's people were spiritually lazy, and if your constant prayer to God for a child went unanswered, would you still faithfully obey God and walk with Him? I ask that because I've met many professing Christians who, because of their frustration over politics, or their disappointments in life have used these to justify their anger and sin against God. I've met many Christians who use the spiritual laziness of others to justify their weak and inconsistent faith. There's a lot that we can learn from Elizabeth. And the first thing that I want us to see that this wonderful woman knew is that she knew the importance of faithfulness to God. Despite the circumstances of her country, despite the unfaithfulness spiritually of her countrymen, despite the sorrow of being barren, the greatest description of her is that she was defined as being righteous in God's sight. She was faithful to him. Is it any wonder then, church, that God was going to do something great through Elizabeth? And we're about to see what that great thing was. Look at verse 8. 
It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. <coughs> Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Sometimes, sometimes God allows a woman to be barren because he has something different in mind for her. Elizabeth's story makes that clear. In Elizabeth's case, God allowed her to be barren for all those years. I mean, for years. She had watched as her friends had kids and raised those kids, as her friends became grandparents. All these years that she prayed for her own child, all that time that she was confused, that she said, why? God, why? Now she could finally start to see why. Because now God would be glorified by working this miracle through her. And it wasn't just the pregnancy that was going to be miraculous. No, the child she was going to have would be immensely special. Her child John, who we would later come to know as John the Baptist, John was the forerunner of the Savior, Jesus Christ. John was tasked with preparing the hearts of the people for the coming of the Lord. All right, this meant that John was the fulfillment of prophecy, because prophets had spoken of this individual. John was the fulfillment of prophecy, and John would also be the first prophet in Israel for 400 years. So Zechariah is hearing all these incredible things, and he responds with doubt. 
I mean, after all, they're old, right? I mean, hadn't God kind of missed his chance to do this with them? Clearly in this moment, Zechariah had forgotten about his own ancestors, Abraham and Sarah. And what God had done through them centuries beforehand. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born to them. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course, Abraham had a hard time understanding it. Sarah laughed about it. And here, centuries later, even though Zechariah knew that story, he responded with doubt that a miracle like this could happen to him and his wife. And here's the thing. We can judge Zechariah all we want, but how would we have responded if we were in his shoes? Hopefully, we would have responded like Elizabeth. Because when the narrative turns back to her, we find that Elizabeth, she knew that this was a God thing. And the second thing that I want us to see about this wonderful woman is that she knew the importance of gratitude to God. She knew the importance of gratitude to God. She gave God the glory for this. Parents, how often do we praise God for our children? Don't misunderstand. We ask Him for patience with them. We ask Him for wisdom to raise them. We ask that God would protect and guide them when they leave the house, among many other things. But are we truly thankful for them? Or is that just something for Elizabeth? She was old when she got pregnant. Now, as Christians, we should realize that children and the miracle of birth is always a miracle of God's grace. So the question is, believers, do we know the importance of gratitude before God. As many of you parents know, your kids will know if you know the importance of gratitude before God. They'll see that, whether it's true or not in your lives. So Elizabeth, she was pregnant for six months. The following verses tell us that about that time, the angel Gabriel went to a relative of Elizabeth's named Mary. Of course, many of us have heard of Mary. Mary was the virgin on whom God's favor rested. She was the one chosen to be the mother of Jesus. She's a relative of Elizabeth. This is a special family, wasn't it? And it's no wonder. There are plenty of times we see in Scripture where God chooses someone of weak faith to do something great, individuals like Gideon or Barak. But for these tasks, the parents of John the Baptist, forerunner of the Messiah, the parents of the Savior, this required God-fearing couples This required mothers of strong faith, women like Elizabeth and Mary. Let's skip ahead and let's see Elizabeth's faith to verse 39. So this is after Mary has been visited by Gabriel. Verse 39 says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I think my favorite thing 
in all of Elizabeth's stories so far is when in this moment, Elizabeth says, why am I so favored? Different translations put it a little differently. Why has this been granted to me? Why have I been so favored? Remember, Elizabeth conceived in her old age. Her child was going to be special. God's favor clearly rested on Elizabeth, too. Elizabeth had plenty of reasons to celebrate, and in a lot of our minds, probably plenty of reasons to boast. But she realized that someone greater was in her presence. And not Mary. Sure, she said that Mary was blessed, but not Mary. No, no, no. No, it's the one that Mary was bearing. Elizabeth knew the greatness of being in the presence of her Savior. She had confirmation this is true. The child inside her womb leaped for joy, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth knew that God had been good to her. She knew that, that at this point, God had a plan for her child. She probably knew at this point all the reasons God allowed her to be barren all those years. But the next thing I want us to see about her is that Elizabeth knew the greatness of Jesus. Elizabeth, her pregnancy was a miracle. Her child, John, was going to be wonderful. But the child Mary was carrying is the greatest. Elizabeth hadn't met Jesus. I'm sure she didn't fully understand what Jesus came to do. But she recognized the greatness of the Savior. And you see, great moms will recognize the greatness of the Lord. And when moms do recognize the greatness of Jesus, more often than not, their children will too. Let's look at verse 57. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he should be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Some important things for us to see here. First of all, who says that peer pressure only happens to teenagers? Here, all of Elizabeth's friends are telling her, Oh, name him after his dad. Liz, wouldn't it be cute to see a little Zechariah Jr. running around? Uh, what do you mean John? Nobody in your family is named John. Why would you name him John? You see, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they would be breaking the, the cultural customs of the time with this one. And their friends, they didn't really know why. They didn't understand why this was such a big deal to Elizabeth. In fact, they... They were so serious about what they were saying, they essentially said, okay, forget what Elizabeth says. Let's see what Zechariah wants to do. Let me share with you why I think Elizabeth's reaction to all of this is a, a big deal. Uh, let me explain it this way. My wife and I got some grief about this, both the times that she was pregnant with our sons, that we were never willing to share their names before they were born. We wouldn't tell people including our family members. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that my wife personally knows a number of women who, in the time of their own pregnancies, joyfully shared the name that they planned to give their unborn children. 
And then those ladies had people, including family members, say such nasty things about those names that those women eventually changed the name they had originally selected. Look, no mom wants to hear people say, you want to name your kid that? So what these people are saying to Elizabeth might seem kind of insignificant to some of us, but it probably wasn't to her. To hear everybody say, you want to name your kid John? That's a weird name. Why would you give him that name? Yet regardless of how she felt about what they were saying and trying to convince her of, she had already made up her mind. For this godly couple, God's commands were more important than man's customs. Uh, Obedience to God was more important than pleasing people. It didn't matter that John wasn't a family name. It was a godly name because it's the name that God gave for their son. And they were obedient in that. I wanted to make a point of this because I understand that a lot of us might think that this is a pretty small thing in the story. But the truth is, believers, how many times do we allow a small thing or a seemingly small command from God to be something that we shrug off because of what people say or do? See, my point is this. Elizabeth knew something important. She knew the importance of obedience to God, even in the little things. She knew that that was important. Do we know that, believers? After this, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied about all the things that their son would do. Church, is it any wonder that such a special child with such an important role in God's plan of redemption would be born to such a godly couple? Look, because of her age, Elizabeth probably wasn't the one who taught John how to sprint uphill or do cartwheels. And because of her age, John probably wasn't blessed to know his mom long into his adult years. But I'm convinced that John was blessed because of his mom. Because Elizabeth had the makings of a great mom. She knew the importance of faithfulness, gratitude, and obedience to God. And she knew the greatness of Jesus Christ. Any mother like that will surely have children who rise up and call her blessed. So moms, all you mothers who are here, whether you have young children or kids who are grown and gone, please do not underestimate your ability to continue to be a godly influence in their lives. And if you're here and you aren't a mom, Maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with your mom. Or you're here and your mom passed away. Believers, understand that all of us can learn something from Elizabeth and from her story. Because the truth that I want us to see this morning is that great mothers make an impact beyond their own kids. Great mothers, who are godly mothers, great mothers make an impact beyond their own kids. Elizabeth should impact us. Her story has been recorded for all time in God's Word. And I believe that most of us here, if we were to think about it, we have been influenced at one time or another by a woman who is a great and godly mom, even if she wasn't our mom. We have been influenced by great and godly mothers. So church, let's thank those moms today on this Mother's Day. Or if they're not around for us to thank them, let's, at the very least, praise God for them and for their influence in our lives. To all you great and godly moms here, I want to thank you for what you do for your families. I want to thank you for what you do here at this church. Because there are many of you who love on those who come to this church like they're your own children. If you're here, though, 
and Jesus isn't your Savior. Maybe you're hearing Elizabeth's story and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know what to do with this. There's really nothing for me here. My prayer is that God's people would see through Elizabeth things that we can learn, lessons to take away from her life that we ought to apply to ours. But if you're here and you can't say that you're one of God's people, Jesus isn't your Savior, you've never given him your life, if that's true for you, before you leave, I just want to share with you for two minutes the greatest thing that my mom ever shared with me. When I was little, my mom helped me understand <laughs> I had done plenty of bad things. As an adult, I can say I've done many bad things in my life. You see, all those bad things that we do are what the Bible calls sin. And the Bible's very clear the just punishment for our sin is that after this life we'll be separated forever from God in a place called hell. But the good news that my mom shared with me and that I want to share with you is that Jesus Christ loves you so much that Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross for me, you, everyone, all of us in this world who've done so many terrible things. Jesus died for us. When he did that, he took the penalty that our sins deserve. Not only is that good news, but the good news gets better because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He powerfully rose from the dead, and right now Jesus is standing in heaven waiting to forgive you of all your sins. He's waiting to save you from the penalty of hell. And he's waiting to give you eternal life, the guarantee that after this life you'll be with him forever. And friend, the Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never done that, if you're not sure where you stand with God, you're not certain that after this life you will be with him forever, friend, understand that you, you can change that today if you will only surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And you can do that before you leave. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at today, if Jesus isn't your Savior, you don't know for sure that when this life is over, you're going to be with him in eternity. Friend, don't leave the way that you came here. You can give your life to Jesus Christ right now. You can pray something simple like this. And I promise you on the authority of God's word, if you go to the Lord by faith in prayer, he will save you. You can pray, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done bad things, broken your commands. But I know that you died on the cross for me. And I believe you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. And I'm asking you to be my Savior. Today I'm giving my life to you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's made that decision today, that they would be sure to let someone know before they leave because they are in a place filled with people who would love to rejoice with them. And for those of us who have made that decision, Father, help us to recognize today all the things that we can learn from Elizabeth's story. Teach us to be a people who know the importance of faithfulness to you, even when others aren't being faithful to you. Teach us to know the importance of gratitude to you. How often do you do incredible things and we never praise you for them? Teach us to know the importance of obedience. Even in the small things that we would shrug off, that we would ignore. No, let them be great and important things to us that we would be obedient to you. 
and teach us to know the greatness of Jesus. Because if we truly know how great He is, then we would faithfully share that with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with a stranger that we meet down the street. Teach us these things. Thank you for Elizabeth's example. Thank you for those of us who can praise you for having godly moms. Thank you for the example they left. And for those here who may not have had an example like that in their lives, show them how they've been blessed by other godly moms. And I pray that as a result, we'd all thank you this morning. Father, we love you. As always, we thank you for loving us more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.